Welcome to chapter 12 of Only Half the Story podcast. This is where we interview the most passionate of the passionate people of those who are in the pursuit of achieving their goals and dreams. On today's episode, we have Nate Chorover, and he is one innovative human being. He is onto some pretty interesting projects from innovating the way alcohol is produced, of all things, and how people backpack throughout Europe and how they plan their trips while staying at hostels. So pretty cool stuff. We also dive deep into the importance of mental health, which I think is a subject often neglected. So sit back, relax. This is only half the story podcast. My name is Andrew Haft and let chapter 12 begin. Chore over. Welcome to the show. All right, man. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Excited as well. How's it going, man? It's going well, man. It's going well. Um, you know, I heard your first few podcasts. Um, I guess you're going double digits now, 10 or 11, and, and they've all been good, so I'm kind of blessed to be a part of it. Bro, keep up. We're at episode number 12, chapter episode 12. 12. <laughs> keep up. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm behind. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Well, I'm excited to have you on. I know we were trying to get this done in the past, and here we are making it come to fruition. Um, I'd love to kick it off. For those who may not know who you are, you know, what's your story? What's going on? Sure, man. That is, uh, that's, a, that's a big question for sure. Um, you know, my name is Nate Chorover. I was born in Geneva, Switzerland, moved to Pennsylvania, um, ended up moving to Tucson, Arizona, where I went to high school and college. Um, but, you know, it may seem funny. I've actually always considered myself um, to be from or my home to be Bar Harbor, Maine, which is kind of a small uh, town on an island off the coast of Maine. Um, but, you know, I went to the U of A. That's obviously where I met you and all of our close friends. Um, and now, you know, I'm out in Los Angeles working on a few things. Wow. Wait, so you grew up in Switzerland? I was born. I was born in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. Lived there for about six months. So moved there when I was six months old. Moved out, um, and then I actually went back in seventh grade um, for a year. My dad was on sabbatical. Yeah, and went to Zurich and was there for a year. Wow, what was that like? If you remember. Um, yeah, I mean, I was definitely old enough to remember, which is nice. Um, you know, I think one of the things that is a bit of a bummer is that I wasn't old enough necessarily to appreciate it. You know, like I was homeschooled and I was what, 12, 13 years old, but I mean, it was, it was a wild experience, man. It's something that I, you know, kind of always touch on, um, you know, throughout my life. And it was a fantastic experience, probably the best of my life. Yeah. No, it's funny that you say that because I remember going on vacations as a kid and you don't really appreciate it as much as you think you would now looking back on it. Right, right, so, exactly. That's that's interesting. Cool, man. Well, excited to have you on board. Um, I guess first, you know, true question and how we can kick this off. I I would love to hear what you're passionate about these days. What are you currently working on? Sure, sure, absolutely, man. Um, 
you know, and that's another loaded question. I know, you know, passion, um, for me, there's passion for a ton of things, but I would say, you know, first and foremost, something to touch on, um, you know, business, you know, kind of has always been a passion for me. Um, and you know, like we spoke about, but it's kind of funny because my whole family has always kind of been in academia. Um, you know, my sister just got her master's. My parents both, you know, work at university of Arizona, my grandparents as well. Um, but for me, you know, business was always something that was in the forefront of my mind, something I wanted to focus on. Um, and so while in school, I actually started a company, um, and we actually have a pending patent. Um, and the company we started, um, is actually a spirit aging technology. That's what the patent is on. So that was kind of the first business thing that I got myself involved with. Um, and then once leaving the University of Arizona, I've been involved with a few other business ventures. One is my cousin's company that's based out of London. Um, and then the current you know, company I'm working with here in Los Angeles is doing wealth management. So business is something that I've you know, always been very excited about. Wow. So a man of many trades. Interesting. <laughs> I guess you can say that. I want, I want to dive into the patent. I think that's really interesting. So it's a spirit patent. I heard from a distance view in the past, and it's been a little while since I've spoken about it or heard any updates regarding the current status of that. Can you explain a little bit more on, on what exactly the technology is and how it's innovating the alcohol industry? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, I can actually uh, tell you the story. It's a, it's a pretty good story. So a good friend of mine from high school, uh, William Blair, he's, he remains obviously a close friend of mine. I remember I was working at a restaurant in college and um, I was serving at the time raw sushi up in uh, up in the foothills. Phenomenal of food. <laughs> Phenomenal food, <laughs> I agree, man, absolutely. Um, actually, your first guest, Cole Waldron, uh, got me the job there, funny thing. But I remember I had a chem lab the next day. You know, I was getting off work at about midnight and I had chem lab the next day at like 8 a.m. It was like a four-hour chem lab and I was already exhausted, right? And I get a call from Will Blair and he, and he calls me, he's like, man, you got to come over right now. And I'm like, I'm sorry, man, like I can't, I have chem lab so early in the morning. And, you know, he keeps pushing, he keeps pushing, he's a good friend of mine. So of course I'm like, all right, give in, you know, and, and I go over there and he has a fresh bottle of gin. And so we kind of dive into that. Um, <laughs> and he goes, you know, tells me this uh, story about his day and how he applied for a job at a distillery and walked into the distillery and saw all the barrels on the walls and all the space it was taking up and all the time it was taking up. And, you know, his background has been chemical engineering and that's what he got his degree in. And, and so he had this thought, like, why use all that space? Why use the barrels? Why not create a uh, flow process for the spirit? So, you know, we sat there and ended up, you know, finishing the bottle of gin at 6 a.m. by the time I leave. Still made the chem lab, though, mind you. That's impressive. Um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was impressive. Uh, college days. Couldn't do that now. But we, you know, work through this process and kind of alpha test and beta test a few um, rigs that we kind of assembled ourselves. And we ended up getting venture capital backing and using that backing to, um, you know, kind of secure a patent or uh, at least get into the patent queue. Wow. So just to sum that up, the technology just speeds up the process and how you can produce liquor. Right. Uh, yeah, I can give you a, a little bit um, more into that. So, 
you know, like whiskey will come out the still and it's clear, obviously, and then it sits in a barrel and that's what gives it kind of the flavoring and the coloring. Um, this technology comes out the still, you know, same thing clear, but it actually um, uses a pump and flows it through kind of a tube using different flavoring compounds, um, anything from like orange peels and like jasmine and lavender to wood chips. Um, and so that's how whiskey gets its flavor, obviously, and, and rum in a lot of ways and tequila is from the wood. Um, but, you know, we've done like nine month equivalencies in like a week or two weeks. Wow. Dude, that's outside of the box. It is, yeah. I mean, um, I obviously can't take all the blame for the idea. It was, it was, you know, majority my my uh, business partner's idea. But I'm kind of he he's definitely the ideas guy. While I'm the guy that kind of makes it happen, making it happen. All right, awesome, man. That's that's really cool. I definitely don't think about how whiskey is produced or any kind of alcohol is produced. I kind of just snag my <laughs> bottle. Jameson has been the liquor of choice recently. And Jameson's great. Oh, I'll send you a bottle of ours. How about that? Oh, fair enough. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Okay, cool. Well, you talk about the business methodologies and you're sort of the operations guy. And I think it's important to, to break down what those methodologies may be and what makes a, a good versus a great operations guy i mean what what does it take to to start to take an idea from scratch and and build it into a tangible object or or at least you know progress it into a patent and and move it along its cycle to to life right right um and you know that's a funny thing i was actually just talking to somebody about this a few days ago but you know when when we had that idea um and this was years ago, you know, and we were halfway through the bottle of gin. We were like, oh, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be rich within six months. You know, like, no, no question. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, what, four years later, you kind of look back and you're like, oh, there's a ton of steps that you have to go through. Um, kind of having this idea, that's all it is, is an idea to actually kind of creating this thing and getting, you know, securing these different partnerships with local distilleries and, and working with, you know, these venture capital groups and things like that. Um, but I would say, you know, take an idea from scratch, man. The one thing, I guess there's two, I would say one is you have to truly believe in it. Cause if you don't truly believe in it, you're not going to, you know, care enough to really put in the work. But the second is wherewithal, you know, because there's a lot of factors that are going to kind of come in and beat you down consistently, right? Like all the time there's going to be these things that come in and they're just like kind of blow everything up, but you just have to knock them down, you know, one after another. Um, but, you know, I'd say that's kind of what the all time great, like business leaders and, and like even athletes and leaders kind of have always done. So I think that those two things are, are very important, especially, you know, building something from scratch. For sure, for sure. Do you have an example that you can share where it just took a ton of persistence and maybe you faced a ton of setbacks, but you were able to overcome those? Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe a couple. Um, I would say, you know, the first is that we went to a few venture capital groups kind of to secure funding initially. Um, but coming from just this, like, idea that we had that's all we had 
right? Like we were like, oh, this is a great idea. And a lot of, you know, I think, I don't know, maybe two or three venture capital groups, or at least like we pitched two groups and they just shut us down off the jump, you know? And they were like, oh, like it's an idea, but you know, that's all it is. You don't really have any proof of concept, things like that. Um, but I would say, yeah, maybe the third or fourth venture capital group did kind of take that leap of faith and invest in us. Um, so, you know, going into these meetings with, you know, anywhere from four to 10 people, um, or even more, you know, and just being shut down by them, you know, that can be pretty draining because you leave it and you're just like, man, I mean, that's the second one or third one that we've been to. And they're all saying the same thing. When are we going to actually be able to do this? Can we even do this? Um, but yeah, I mean, like on the third or fourth one, eventually it kind of clicked or, you know, kind of the, the mojo worked between us and it, and it kind of ended up all right. I love that. I love that. That's what it's all about. Yep. Well, congratulations. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And that's awesome. Cool, man. Well, let's move forward into maybe some of the other topics that you mentioned. You said you're working for your sister's company or wealth management? Sure. Sure. No, my cousin. Your cousin. So, Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Different companies. So the wealth management company is a, is a boutique firm here in West LA called Exelon. I'll touch on that later, I suppose. But the, the second one is um, my cousin's company. So my cousin is um, two weeks younger than me. So very close in age. Um, I always kind of, you know, give her, give her a little nudge and always say like, you know, I'm the older cousin, yada, yada. But I really consider her a sister to me because I only have two cousins. So my family's pretty small. Um, but she's always been super close to me, same, same age relatively. So we've always been super close, but she went to USC. Um, and actually we traveled together in Europe for a while. I was, I was dating, um, this girl at the time and, and she was actually close friends with my cousin. Um, and so we ended up traveling in Europe together for like six, seven weeks. Um, and while, you know, my cousin was there, she realized that there are networks for things like trains, right? Like you can pay $400, it's called Eurail Pass, and hop on any train in, in Europe. Her idea was to create that, but for hostels. Um, so, you know, while she was at USC still, she developed this idea. Um, she actually won an award at the USC Business School. I think she actually got like about 50K in seed funding, um, which is pretty amazing, especially for an undergrad. Um, and she's had further investment, you know, beyond that. But she lives in London now, and I'm heading up her sales and marketing team as well as her uh, strategic partnerships. So it's, you know, lucky I can do it remotely, but she's really been nudging me in the direction of moving to Europe which I'm not at all opposed to, I'll tell you. <laughs> I don't blame you there. Where in Europe? She's in London. Um, so supposedly I'd you know, have to live in London, but I've always had this dream of living in Berlin. I think Berlin is just like an absolutely brilliant city. Um, and I'm actually an, uh, an Italian citizen, so I can kind of live anywhere in the EU for you know, not having to deal with visas and things like that. So that's pretty nice. Wow. Wow. That's, man, you've been all over. I had no idea. 
when you say you're the head of marketing and sales, I think for any sales rep, that's like the goal. You want to build yourself into a leadership position, unless you truly love sales and like would like to be a rep for forever, I guess. Right, but right. when you see an idea, because I'm, I'm noticing a constant trend within the both stories that you've previously shared where you've kind of jumped on an opportunity and, and seen it through and, and now currently working in all of them. But I'm curious, like, I would love to break down how you manage yourself and also manage clients while growing organizations. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely a big question. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because the people that I've been blessed to be in business with, whether it be, you know, my business partner that I started the business in college with will or you know my cousin Sarah um, they've always been these idea people right like they're sort of the CEO and, and they like love these ideas and they have these brilliant ideas but it's sort of like longer term but for me I've always had this passion for working with people and working in operations and partnerships sort of on a day-to-day -day basis so it kind of worked flawlessly, right? We kind of clicked immediately because of that. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you, working on these, like, larger goals while also working on the day-to-day -day operations is tough. You know, it's it's definitely not for everybody. I mean, I've thought about it multiple times and, you know, thought about giving up on those and, and you know, just kind of working for somebody else because it's a lot easier. But I think that the payoff from them um, is ultimately going to be, you know, much bigger than working a simple nine to five. Um, you know, I can give you an example. Um, initially with, with my company that I started, um, we were wanted to take this technology, the spirit aging technology and, and sell it to like businesses or lease it to like distilleries and bars and things like that. And we were partnered with a uh, distillery in Tucson. You might know it, Independent Distillery, um, for for a while, like maybe a year, I would say. Um, but something that kept happening was we kept finding ourselves in situations where we were hurrying up to wait in the sense that, you know, we would get everything done on our end and then we'd be like, all right, we have everything. Here we go let's move forward. And the other business will say, Oh, we're having all this like inner turmoil. And because of that, it's going to slow our partnership down. Right. So that's definitely a big problem. I'd say in working in, you know, operations, dealing with other businesses. So I think consumer facing in that sense, you know, can be pretty, can be pretty fun. You're speaking to the choir, man. I can relate to that so much. I can, oh, yeah? I can only work at the pace of the customer. I mean, yep. you could only do what you can do, and you can only control what you can't control, and you can't stress about anything else. But if you're not progressing a deal or you're not progressing a sale purely because the customer just isn't ready, it's not their priority at the moment, what are you going to do right. about it? You just have to move on and work on to the next and just start to juggle so many different apples all at once until they all kind of fall into their own place. Oh, absolutely, man. And I mean, it can be exhausting, um, but I kind of, I really do love working with other businesses. Like 
I kind of love going in the war room and, and, you know, working out contracts and, and, and dealing with people on, on sort of a very, um, like instinctual level. That's always kind of been a passion for me. Um, and I mean, you know, you even do that in sort of the B2C, uh, business as well. Sure. Where, where did that passion spark from? Because touching on the premise of the show, we're, we're, we're in the pursuit. You know, and I feel like at right. this point, in order to really have or, or grow a passion for something, there must have been some sort of outside influence. Where where did that come for you? You know, that's that's tough to say, man. Like, I would say, you know, like like I said earlier, my whole family's kind of always been in academia, right? So it's very different than like the nitty gritty and the business side of things and the, and the war room type things that I was mentioning, you know, they've always been, um, very passionate about teaching and sort of developing concepts, but for the idea of like knowledge generation, right? Um, and and in that sense, I'm not really sure where it came from. I'd say there's probably two influences that I've had. Um, my grandfather worked at MIT um, in the neuroscience department, so he was very academia as well. But um, he's someone I think probably the person that I consider myself most like in my extended family. And he always had this passion for people and working with people and, and sort of generating ideas. And so I think that that's where I gained the passion for working with people and and generating ideas. And the second is, um, when I was in high school, I was a senior in high school busing at this restaurant, um, in Tucson and the bartender there at the time, Trevor Cameron, he kind of, he was like 10 years older, kind of took me under his wing and he, you know, left bartending and has started his business and he's doing consulting, um, in, health insurance and Medicare and things like that since then. And he's always kind of been a mentor of mine. And I think that those things combined working with people and then, you know, working in business kind of combined to create, I guess, what I am today for, for better or for worse. Definitely. Definitely. I think before we started, you, you mentioned you want to bring up the, the importance of mentorship how do you go about finding mentors? Is it's pretty difficult as a young professional. You got to find and pick the right people. How do you how do you go about that? Right. Um, I think that you know in business, especially or really in anything you know that you want to do, mentorship can be potentially the most important thing. Right. Seeing someone that's maybe 10 years older than you really succeeding in what you want to do and will bring them, bring you under their wing is extremely important. But I think that it's also very hard to attain, um, you know, on both ends, because on their end, you know, they might be thinking, is it is it worth my time to bring this person person in? But on your end, it's like, is it is it worthwhile? Do I trust this person? So. I wouldn't say there's one cut and dry way to attain a solid mentor by any means. You know, I think that people go through it in every different path and and are able to do it. Um, But the main thing is not being too bullheaded, not being too cocky and 
really wanting to learn the craft, but be willing to learn, right? And be honest and, you know, when you're wrong. And I think that people really relate to that. You know, if, if you walk into an office and say, look, I don't necessarily know everything about this business. I know maybe a couple of things, but I'm willing to learn. That's really something huge, you know, because I've seen a lot of people in offices and, and, you know, I've even been this way where I'll walk into an office and I'm like, oh, I can knock this out. No problem. You know, like I'm, I'll be the man here, you know, no issue, but really realizing that you're not necessarily the man, but you can be the man and, you know, admitting to yourself that you want to learn and admitting to other people can be kind of the key or at least the first step in that direction. Spot on. Putting the ego aside, bro. I love Putting it. Putting the ego aside, man. It's tough, man. It's tough coming from me because I was like, I mean, I'm even pretty like egoful um, as is now, but, you know, especially when I was younger, you know, like high school, early college, things like that. But that's kind of one of the big things I learned is like, you got to put the ego aside and, and it can really do wonders. Oh, for sure. For sure. Ryan Holiday is an author. Have you ever heard of the book Ego is the Enemy? I have actually. I think I um, read a few passages in that, but years ago, years ago. Yeah, I haven't read the book either. I've heard of it. Obviously, that's why I brought it up. But I've listened to a podcast episode with him on the Tim Ferriss show, and it's really insightful. I mean, when you put your ego aside and you really put yourself out there and let everybody know and just be your vulnerable self and and really just take the punches and and learn from them ultimate ultimately. I mean, that's where growth evolves from, and I think it's it's difficult but worthwhile. No, absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, ironic because people always think of like business, especially being this very, like, you have to protect yourself and, you know, everyone's kind of cutthroat and things like that. And and that is true in a lot of ways, but definitely like putting yourself out there and walking into an office and saying, look, I'm willing to learn everything. Like I'll be the best as long as you teach me. That can be huge, not only for that office and, and people's ability to trust you, but also your growth, you know, within the business and yourself. Absolutely. I would love to touch on some of the success stories, but more importantly, some of the failures that you mentioned earlier before we started recording. Can we touch on that? Sure. Um, sure. Uh, yeah, let's start with the failures. So Now, now that the ego's out of the way, so <laughs> might, might as well. <laughs> right, right. Um, no, absolutely. Um, you know, for me, I've never necessarily considered anything like a true failure, right? I know it's kind of cliche, but people are like, oh, you kind of learn from your mistakes. And so it's never a failure. But, and, I, and even when I was young, I was like, that's a ridiculous saying, you know, people fail or they succeed, whatever. But, you know, I think it's true. Um, you know, every failure definitely can be learned from. And in that you can find success. Um, you know, your failures are actually the things that lead to your successes, right? And so that's the fun part about it. Um, something that I've been, you know, recently thinking a lot about is the sentiment, hurry up and fail, right? Hurry up and get that no. Because the more no's you get, the more yeses you'll get, right? Um, it'll teach you, but you're also closer to the success, so that's, you know, a lot of fun. And, you know, if you're able to do that and able to put the ego aside and just say, look, I'm going to fail as many times as I possibly can, that can be a lot of fun for one, but it can also teach you a ton. Um, 
you know, like we spoke about, obviously, um, the failures, you know, were things like the venture capital group. I remember actually um, going to the IP clinic at the U of A law school and pitching this idea. And I think there were maybe 10 or 12 groups initially. This is one of the successes, actually. And at the end, you know, there were 10 or 12 groups pitching at the end. Two were chosen one for each semester, right? So one idea each semester, and they were going to go through the process and do the patent process. Um, and, you know, it, it was it was me and William and actually Kevin Murphy, and we were pitching this idea in front of them and, you know, went from like 12 to like six, you know, over the course of like a month or so, and then down to like four and then down to two. And, and when they emailed us and said, hey, you know, we're going to do all of your patent work for free, I mean, that feeling of success, um, not only for the money, like, yeah, it takes a lot of money to have a lawyer to do all the patent work, but just that feeling of being like, oh, we actually did a good job, you know, at something, and we kind of fought through all the hard times was something that's worth every failure, you know, absolutely. Wow. Well, way to take advantage of your resources, because that's not a cheap process. No, it would have cost us yeah ten to fifteen thousand dollars. Wow, for free. Yeah, they did it all for. I mean, we paid like the patent filing fees, but the lawyer fees were all free. Yes, yeah, through the University of Arizona Law School. If only we were back in college, we would start a business. Yeah, no, that was and that's funny, man. We, uh, I didn't realize the resources that like you have as a university student until we started this company. And then it's like, you have like a lawyer for free who can do all of this like legal work for you. And like, you know, it's kind of ironic that we had to start this business to realize the resources at my fingertips. Right. You know what? It's funny that you say that because I don't know if you follow any kind of social media influencer, but it's a, it's a popular topic of conversation about whether college is, worth it or not and obviously there's definitely circumstances where it's definitely not worth the money and the investment i would love to get your opinion on that sorry say that one more time no i'm saying because whether or not college is is worth it you know obviously okay sure 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 it, it's a popular topic of conversation on whether or not it's worth the investment when i mean your student tuition is, is just astronomical these days and it's about what you make of it but what is your opinion on the value of a college degree because we're in business right now do you feel that you would have needed a college degree to do what you're doing today yes and no right it, that's that's definitely a, a complex issue i would say for sure but um you know, I mean, like we've spoke about and like I've said, you know, my whole family's been in academia. So that's, that's like kind true. of been it instilled in me. Right. Since yeah. I was young, it's like a college education, at least, you know, a bachelor's is like a guarantee. Right. No, like that's just what you do. And then from there, it's like everybody else kind of has their master's or their doctorate. So I love the education system myself. You know, I think that like universities are a great system. It can be a fantastic like think tank and it's kind of a great way to generate ideas but you know me specifically in this wealth management role that I'm you know working in here in West LA you don't need to have a degree to be kind of invited and and hired into the company 
So it's this really interesting mix of, you know, people that have masters in engineering or even doctorates, you know, and they're really successful uh, doing wealth management. But then, you know, the same level of success is ascertained by um, people that were cab drivers for 20 years and just, you know, they were hired and, and someone saw a passion in them for business and they were hired because of it. So, you know, it's really tough. I, uh, I have friends that have like hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt and it's this, you know, issue where it's like, well, education should probably be free because of that. Um, but I think it, you know, ultimately comes down to the person. That's a good point. Yeah, that's, you know, nah, that's a good point. It's all about what the individual is going to make out of their time in college. It it kind of bothered right. me when people were there and it was a four year vacation. You right, know? And, and I'm I'm guilty of that as well, for sure, for absolutely. Sure. But I I mean I feel like I we we made the most out of it. But when I saw someone who just I I saw no drive, I, I saw no potential ROI out of their time there. I was like, what are you doing here? You're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. You're made, wasting the resources. Well, right. And, and you know, somebody like that, um, you know, somebody that's extremely driven in high school but is uh, doesn't have enough money to afford education, like, they're, they should switch places. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, the person that's kind of wasting four years of this education that somebody could really be utilizing for their future and, like, their family and things like that, you know? Um so it's definitely tough to see, for sure. But I'm glad that, you know, we were able to make m- the most of it, a, a majority of it. <laughs> that we did. That we did, for sure. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, let's see. What what should we talk about next? You know, something um, that I've been thinking about recently, even uh, having, you know, quite a few conversations about, and I, you know, even wanted to bring up here was... Um, the sort of need for, um, cognizance in like the mental health realm as far as like business goes, right? Like obviously it's super important for social work and things like that, but I think that in order to be like successful in business and successful in anything that you're driven to do, it's, it's really important to be mentally stable, but be cognizant of your mental state. So that's something I've been thinking about a lot. I dig it. Um, can you give any any examples of what you do to to be level headed in in your meetings or interactions with customers or colleagues? Sure, sure. Um, I mean, it's always sort of up and down, right? It's like day to day. You know, some days are good, some days are bad, but. Um, as far as stress levels go and things like that. But, you know, a few years ago, I remember um, my dad saying to me that he meditates every day. Um, And, you know, a few years ago, I was kind of, you know, I was kind of cocky. I was like, I'm not, I don't need to meditate, you know, whatever, whatever. And, and him being this like very successful scientist and, and having gone through some difficult times himself, but still able to be the successful scientist I realized only recently in the past year that meditation is super important to me. Um, so 
you know, it's kind of another cliche, right, meditation, but I really do think that it is important to wake up in the morning and take a mental snapshot and see where you're at and how you need to take charge of the day. I failed multiple times at my it's attempts hard. in meditation. Um, I, I've tried it, and I want to say every time I've attempted, I've just fall, fallen asleep. Like I view my meditation as like a 10 to 15, 20-minute power nap, and I consider that a meditation yeah, session. Right. And, and I do wake up a little bit more energized than I was before and a little bit more clear-headed. Can you walk me through your your process with that i'm genuinely curious sure yeah absolutely um and you know it is a really difficult thing right and but that's the thing like when i first started i see my dad like fully meditating for 20 minutes or 30 minutes which is like full mind you know clear and it's absolutely amazing and so for me i was like there's no way that was kind of one of the issues at the beginning i was like there's no way i'm gonna be able to do 20 minutes of you know complete mind clear where I'm at sort of meditation. Um, but something I learned is that at the beginning, it's like start with 30 seconds, right? Cause it's impossible for someone to just say, Oh, my mind's going to be clear for 20 minutes. Start with 30 seconds, right? The first day and then go, you know, the next week go to like a couple minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. Um, but it's, you know, on the day to day routine, it's, finding a place, right? Somewhere in your room that you go every day or somewhere like in your house, you go every day and you sit there and just initially focus on your breathing. I'd say, you know, that's sort of obviously the base level. Um, but from there you can begin to take a mental snapshot of how am I feeling right now? What am I thinking? What do I need to accomplish today? And how do I accomplish that? Okay, all right. It's it sounds easy, but it's difficult. No, I'm it sounds nowhere near a master. Believe way, me. way easier said than done for sure. And I think so Absolutely. many people can relate with that because meditation is, especially these days, there's so many resources. Like you can just YouTube a video of like meditation for two to five minutes, and then it's going to be the solution on how you're going to reach that ultimate mindset. And when you try it yourself, it's not that easy. So I think it's no. something I'll I'll have to work on. Yeah. And, and I think that there's like a general guideline as to how to do it, right? There's like a backbone, but for each person, it's obviously vastly different. Oh you yeah. Know, it's, it's how they see meditation and, and what they want to accomplish. And well, it's all, like it's that, all so contextualized and what's going right. on in that person's life. I think the, absolutely everyone's stress is different stress, you know? for for many different reasons and we don't necessarily have to dive into examples but i i would imagine the person who's going through a divorce and may not be the most financial stable that individual's stress will be like through the roof and ask that person to sit down for five minutes to meditate good luck oh absolutely absolutely <laughs> um but you know if they had um established sort of their meditation routine like years prior, I think that going through that process would probably be a lot easier for them um, emotionally and, you know, psychologically. Oh, for sure. For sure. So it's a little bit more of the primary prevention to the mental health. So I, I, I studied public health in college 
And one of my biggest takeaways, I mean, a lot of it was kind of just, you know, BS, busy work. But my biggest takeaway was health in, in general is very preventative. And in America, we have, you know, three layers. There's primary, there's secondary, and then there's the tertiary. Sure. Primary being, what are you doing today to prevent anything that could potentially happen that could harm you and, and put you in a hospital and, and put your life at risk? secondary you're you're taking all the necessary precautions you know you're going to the clinic you're getting checked out you're doing your blood work you're doing everything but it's a little bit more reactionary and and tertiary which is typically the theme in healthcare you're already sick now you're in the hospital now i need to get better so you're kind of way more in a reactive standpoint to the point where you know that trouble or that that problem could have been resolved before it even occurred and i think meditation is is huge i mean that's definitely you know uh, uh, an item in the agenda that should be included on in, in in let's say everybody's life no absolutely and um yeah it's it's strange that you bring that up actually because so like i said you know my dad is kind of the first person that introduced me to meditation uh, a couple years ago he had been meditating i'd say steadily maybe for you know four or five years um but you know, a couple of years ago, he was diagnosed with cancer, with multiple myeloma, wow. right? And, you know, multiple myeloma is this very rare um, form of cancer. It's very rogue and nobody really, you know, knows what it is at all times, right? From person to person, it's different. But I truly think that his ability to keep his mental state sort of clean and in control throughout the process led him to being where he is today, which is no forms of cancer, no signs of cancer in his body, which is absolutely amazing. So he's cured. I mean, you know, he's getting better. He's getting, I mean, there's no real like cure for cancer, but he had a, a bone marrow transplant. And recently, a couple months ago, went in for a bone marrow biopsy, and they didn't see any forms of cancer. I think that, like with cancer, it's you can never right technically cure it, or you're never like rid of it. Um, but they didn't see any forms, and obviously, like the hard medicine was a large majority of that. But I really think that you know his ability to psychologically and emotionally get through this process and be in control is huge. I mean, I think mind over matter is, is a massive, massive thing. So not only just the mental clarity, but the mental toughness. Oh, absolutely. And this dude is, this dude is tough, man. I'm telling you, I love it. He is a bulldog. bulldog. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad that, you know, they're seeing signs of a recovery and, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't any more, you know, signals of cancer left. So that, that's awesome. Great to hear. Yeah, it is, man. And, and that was definitely a more than a breath of fresh air for the family. But I mean, there were times that were that were tough, man. Um, you know, in all honesty, I actually spoke to him recently about this. But while he was in the hospital, um, right after the bone marrow transplant, he was in the hospital at UMC, actually, at U of A for a while. Um, and, you know, there were like a, a few days where I'd walk in and and he wouldn't even recognize me. 
you know, I'd walk in and yeah, cause he was kind of so doped up and, and so out of it. And that's pretty wild to see, you know, your father, who's kind of like your best friend right throughout life. And, and someone that knows you better than you know yourself along with your mom, obviously. Um, and to see that and, and now he's, you know, obviously back at work has been at back at work for a while, just absolutely crushing it in better physical shape than I'll ever be. And, you know, he's, uh, yeah, he's a 10 out of 10. So, you know, we're loving that, but it's, it's really quite a process to see kind of that ebb and flow and, and kind of be back in the positive. For sure. Well, yeah, man, that is something else. So great to hear. Great to hear. Um, I would love to start asking you some rapid fire questions if you don't mind. All right, let's do rapid fire. Rapid fire. I know since you're just an intellect, you've been involved in academia throughout your entire life. It's been in your surrounding pretty much since you were a kid and throughout your young adult life. I want to touch on the subject of books. That's typically one of my rapid fire questions. Are there any books that you recommend or give to a friend? That um, Yeah, you know, I'll tell you my two favorite books of all time. The Magus is my absolute favorite book. Yeah, that's actually um, a funny story. My grandfather, who I told you about, the neuroscientist, worked at MIT. He gave a copy of that book to my dad when he was about 18 years old. And it ended up being this, you know, revelation for my dad and ended up being one of his favorite books or, you know, maybe his favorite novel of all time. Um and then he gave that same exact copy to me when I was like 17, 18. Um, and, you know, while I was reading it, it fell apart. But I absolutely suggest it. The Magus. M-A-G-U-S. The Magus. Yeah. Writing it down. You should, man. You should. It's absolutely brilliant. And The Tiger's Wife is the second one. Tiger's Wife. What can I expect out of that? Oh, man. The Tiger's Wife. Um <laughs> You know, my favorite books are the ones that are kind of lucid and you can't necessarily trust the narrator and it's kind of all part fiction, part, you know, nonfiction fantasy. Who knows what's really going on? But um, it's about, yeah, this this woman in the Balkans and it's kind of stories from her grandfather. Um, she wrote it when she was super young. She was like 17, but it won a bunch of awards. It's absolutely brilliant. So I would definitely suggest that one. All right. Cool. Cool. Next question. Um, Nate, I would love to to ask if you can give any sort of advice for your younger self. What would you tell younger Nate? Oh, man. There's a lot. There's a lot that I would tell myself when I was young. Um, I would say go for what you're passionate in. You know, I think that when I was young in high school and in college, um, there was a lot of kind of these outside forces that were like, you should do this, you should do this, or me just thinking, maybe I should try this. Um, There's a lot of things that I tried and didn't like or didn't succeed in. But if I was young, I would just say, man, go for, go for what you love, you know, and everything will kind of follow appropriately. That's some sound advice. Thanks yeah, and I know you love the passion because that's what this is all about. This so. is what it's all about. So very fitting for the theme of the show. And yeah. and 
a great segue into the next question because I'm going to bring it back to the premise of the podcast. This is called Only Half the Story for two reasons, I might I might say. First reason, my last name is Haft, so that's appropriate. Uh, we know that. Yeah. Uh, second reason, <laughs> I'm interviewing passionate people who are on the pursuit of achieving their goals and dreams, and I want to put an emphasis on the pursuit. I think a lot of times we listen to these podcasts, these talk shows, these interviews, and the featured guest is typically some really successful human being. You know, they're put on a pedestal. They have this grand story to tell on how they achieved the success that they did, and uh, I want to reverse engineer that concept. I want to bring it back to the beginning and, and see what the mindset is for those who are really passionate and about achieving their goals and dreams. So, Nate, as we conclude the episode, the final question is, how do you want to put your stamp on the universe? That's big, man. That's big. Um, you know, I definitely want to leave a legacy, but I don't want to leave just any legacy. I want to live, leave a positive legacy and hopefully teach, man. I mean, it's funny. It goes back to this academia. I'm in business, but maybe it runs in the blood, but I really do want to, want to teach maybe friends, maybe family about how to, you know, further themselves and, and succeed what they want to succeed in. Um, and ultimately just be content and happy and, and, you know, be able to feed their loved ones and feed themselves and teach others, hopefully. Just being an influence and sharing a positive measure with your environment. I love it, man. Well, exactly. Nate, Nate, thank you so much for, for being Chapter 12 of Only Half the Story Podcast. 12. How do you feel about that? I feel good, man. I feel good. I think you lied to me. You said there had already been 12. No, so definitely. Right. Definitely no lying over here. No way. It, no line in this podcast. Not a shot, bro. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, man. No, I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, and, you know, the ones I've heard so far have just, you know, been outstanding. I think that we've really, you know, even in the 11 episodes so far, we've really been able to see your evolution. Um, and, you know, it's only going to get better. Hey, in 10 years, maybe you'll interview all these people again and see how they've succeeded. So hey, that's the goal. That. That's the goal. Well, I appreciate the kind words. That means a lot. I, I do notice an improvement episode by episode. But you know what? I have to give it to the guest. This show is not possible without the guest. So I do appreciate you being involved and you participating and, and wanting to 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 impact the show to the best of its ability. So thank you again. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, we couldn't do it without the MC, so. <laughs> All right, well, we'll talk soon. Thanks. All right, man. And there you have it, Chapter 12. Put it in the bank with the one and only Nate Chorover. If you are digging the show, please show us some love, like, subscribe, give us a rating on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. My name is Andrew Haft. This is only half the story podcast and we'll see you next time.